This is Liberty, a podcast on the everyday practice of liberation. I'm Andrea Renee, and this is episode three with Bonnie Amore. I don't even want to say much before getting into this interview. I really just want to dive into it because it's so good. If you've never thought about travel in the context of social justice or liberation, or if you're just interested in unpacking this topic a little bit more, or maybe you're planning a trip sometime soon, this episode might be a little mind-blowing and you'll definitely love and or be challenged by Bonnie. Before I tell you a little bit more about them, I will say that as I was editing this, I deliberately chose not to entirely cut out the parts on my end that sound a little choppy or awkward. (laughs) Um, This topic was and is new terrain for me, and from my own self-critical perspective, you can definitely tell. There was a lot of ums, likes, uhs, pauses, and giggles, and I tried to make it listenable, but I also wanted to keep some of that in there because that's what these conversations sound like in real life. Sometimes we expect ourselves or each other to have it all together, to have all the words, to have all the right understandings, as we're unlearning and healing tens and hundreds and thousands of years of conditioning and socialization. That's not possible, and it's not sustainable. So I want us to have a bit more compassion for ourselves as we go through these processes of learning and understanding and hearing people's stories, and I'm doing that with myself as we speak. Okay, so who is Bonnie Amore? They're a queer travel writer from Brooklyn by way of Ecuador. Through their work, they explore diasporic identities, decolonizing travel culture, the intersections of race, place, and power. And I don't remember how I connected with Bonnie's work, but this conversation and reading some of Bonnie's writing has expanded so much of how I define and understand travel. I'm not going to keep you waiting too much longer, but to connect with them and support their work, make sure to listen till the end or head over to thelibertypodcast.com forward slash the number three. Now let's get into it. I asked Bonnie what their vision of liberation was, and here's what they had to say. I think of there's personal liberation of the individual, but I don't think that that can be separated from a collective liberation. You know, so I think that there's um, a really important connection that um, I think without like a person feeling or being liberated, we can't have like a collective liberation and like um, vice versa. So I think it has a lot to do with the right to self-determination, governance for, you know, a community to self-determine their future and how they want their lives and their land and, you know, their bodily autonomy to be governed, you know? Um, So I guess it's just uh, self-determination for me. And, you know, again, the body, the land, the collective, I think it's just having a power to conduct your life the way that you want to without you know free of threat pressure or control Mm. if that makes sense Mm -hmm. yeah totally and i think 
this is actually the first the first uh recording this first episode that i've had where land was mentioned where um at least mentioned in the in the first in this first question um Mm -hmm. which is uh i feel like a, a big part of what you do what you write about um what you do in your work how do you see like this this topic of decolonizing not just ourselves but the way that we travel the way that we navigate about the world how do you see that relating to this vision that you just um shared with us well you know when i talk about decolonization um it's we're talking about communities we're talking about places before colonization and the impact that it's had on those places so when i'm talking about this in the space of travel you know there's important discussions to be had and that i do have that is important to this work that is about traveling in better socially conscious way and all this stuff um and just trying to do things in less harmful ways but really you know there's a bigger conversation that i want to kind of communicate to people is that a lot of the times when we do travel we are infringing upon you know other communities right to self-determine and we are affecting the land we're affecting the environment we're affecting the economy um in ways that you know is very it's colonial it's not just this very an individual's um effect on a place because that can that can just seem very minimal even though it isn't but it's more about the collective of like you're traveling to this place because it has a lot to do with your descendancy or the place that you're coming from, your passport, you know, what led you to be able to be in this place right now, besides the fact that you worked and made money and then you saved it, et cetera. You know, I'm trying to ask questions that tie together um, relationships of power between places and, and communities, you know, um, and I think that has to do with taking responsibility or just being like aware or um, accountability of the history of the place that you're coming from and how you got there, you know, in this generational way and uh, all this stuff. We're bringing that along with us when we do travel. If we do travel and that's not to mean, you know, just leisure stuff or anything like that, but you know, the ways that people travel and migrate that has everything to do with the way that power is functioning because, you know, look at migrants right now, look at, refugees look at all these things that um imperialism and colonization has like forced you know it forces people to move um to be displaced and a lot of those people who are displaced or like kept out of you know global wealth that that is hoarded in the north you know and in the west um those people then become dependent on tourist economies and then we have people traveling to those places etc so um i'm trying to just tie these things together so that people are asking themselves bigger questions, not just like what, you know, how do I haggle in a better way, which is again, like this is important, like detail stuff that we have to talk about, but it's important to just see ourselves as part of communities. Um, And a lot of those communities who have, you know, uh, created harm or um, exploited others for their own gain and tourism it has a lot to do with that and travel culture as a whole, especially travel writing. You know, you have a lot of people coming from a certain background, talking about a place that is not their background, and then like making a career off of it um, and saying things that are misrepresented, miscommunicated, very distanced, stuff like that. You know, I I just, um, 
those, where we come from and how we got to where we are, these are big influences in the way we think. And we can think that we're, you know, trying to do our best and um, are nice or whatever, socially conscious, but really there's just so much more to be talked about. There's so much more to be aware of and uh, to be educated about and to, and to then, you know, be accountable for. We can't be, we can't hold ourselves and each other accountable for things that we don't know or don't understand or even try to know. So yeah, I think a lot of that has to do with history and how it functions in the present. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That was a lot and we can unpack it. Sorry. (laughs) It's okay. It's okay. I mean, it's a big, it's a huge topic. And and one of the things that um, popped up for me as, as you were sharing was that a lot of so much of like the dominant discussion around travel is is the when when travel is a luxury when when it's a when it's leisurely when it's um vacation when it's um uh exploration or adventure or whatever but um that really erases all of the other ways in which we travel which are um sometimes by force sometimes to protect ourselves sometimes to um yeah, because we have no other choice <laughs> in terms of, of survival um, and, and in other ways. And so I think that's really interesting <laughs> and really important, um, even just that, that little piece that, that I just got out <laughs> of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's... Like I was saying with, um, you know, our, us, our descendancy and the places that, the way that folks were like forced to move, how like, you know, global migration patterns are not usually a thing of, of uh, choice, mm. you know, um, that's really not the case, especially for people of color in the world. Um, so what I'm saying is that it's just recognizing that it's not really, um, I think for a lot of people who are, who don't have access to like leisure travel, especially from like the U S or the North or, you know, the West or whatever, there is like, um, not a defensiveness, but there's a little bit like hesitancy to like take, uh, responsibility or accountability for like any form of like Western privilege or anything like that, that, are not really afforded to a lot of people of color in the West or whatever. Um, so it's like, how can we bring this when we don't even, you know, we, we don't have enough money to go on vacation or whatever. It's really just kind of recognizing that travel, the way that, you know, the dominant uh, narrative is, is that, you know, the, the tradition of travel writing is very colonialist. So these people have the power to go to these other places and then talk about it. Mm. Um, but really that's a way of just limiting very much like who gets to talk about this stuff um and who gets to go to places the thing is that you know immigrants are travelers as well or i mean we don't have to call them like that they're definitely not tourists in the same sense but you know we were all moved around in different ways Mm -hmm. and that just impacts other communities It, it creates all these kind of um nether spaces you know these gray spaces like if we think about gentrification Mm. we can think about you know how different communities of color gentrify each other or like Mm. you know who has more proximity to whiteness and therefore is more welcomed in certain places um whereas other people are pushed out it's like you know we think about white supremacy and colonization it's always going to treat like 
people of African descent as like not having any place. Like they're gonna just keep being kicked out of everywhere um, because white supremacy doesn't really want them anywhere. You know, it's like, let's take these folks for capital and then when we're done, like, you know, we can just push them out of every single physical space until, I don't know, I guess like white folks are everywhere or whatever. Anyway, I'm just saying that I'm not just talking about leisure travel or vacation travel. And then when we think about travel writing like that, it's very limited. You know, there's a lot of narratives of travel um, in all the different forms that migration takes that I think is very rich. And, and it's very much the same of like what travel writing purports itself to be, you know, journeys of self-discovery and, and, you know, being like a guest in someone else's home mm. and all these different things that come up. Culture shock. I mean, is that not the immigrant narrative? Is that not, you know, different migrants' narratives? Mm. Uh, so that's also a part of all of that. And I think to take it away from that space, excuse me, um, it, it's, 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 it's very limited. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and where this is like where, where I'm resonating with this is um, I mean I, I live in Chicago but I um, as part of like college I spent a year of college in Costa Rica and aside from many other things there were a lot of moments while I was there a lot of um, places that we went we visited a lot of ind- indigenous communities and I I was I I realize now that I was so uncomfortable <laughs> um so, so much of the time because it's Costa Rica especially the city um San Jose and I was in Edadia there's it's it's been so westernized <laughs> it's it's been so um changed and the um, the indigenous communities that we visited kind of like put on a show for us um, mm. in order for us to like to 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 see what their culture would be but it's not what they what they shared with us weren't things that they did on a um, regular basis it was kind of like things that they did when people visited um, mm-hmm. and and that's how they that's how they got their money that's how they got resources to to you know be able to to live and so there are a lot of moments where I was just like this is this is messed up this is fucked up I and I didn't really have the language and I still am I'm struggling with the language to like to really unpack that and so I've gotten a lot from you and your writing and, and thinking about like my own experiences traveling in this very privileged way to communities that don't have my privileges. And yeah, yeah, I feel like I'm rambling at this point, but. No, that's okay. I think that a lot of folks are coming from that place. You know, if they read my writing, it's like, oh shit, I, you know, I did that, I engaged in that, I participated in this. And the thing is that, that's, you know, domination is a participatory project. It's not like a lot of my work is not like telling people this is your fault and this mm-hmm. is your privilege and this is what you do because again, I think that gets too much into the individual mm-hmm. and we can have those conversations all day. But really it's the opportunities, especially for people of color to travel in that way where we are learning about different cultures. It's not 
it's it's usually in kind of fucked up ways. I mean, how how often are we do we have access to travel that's not like study abroad or teaching abroad yeah. or going on like shorter trips or going on, you know, tours or going on vacation for people who like historically have not been able to go on vacation, you know. Um, that's that's like you're kind of forced into this space and then you don't because this is not like a conversation that is really mainstream or natural because you know who wants to talk about you know fucked up shit that they do or whatever um we don't really know how to communicate these things or we don't really know what's messed up about this stuff before until we get there and then we're and then we're like oh this is uncomfortable or like something's happening but i don't really understand it you know up until later so i get a lot of like messages like that where folks are like i didn't understand what was happening but i felt uncomfortable and then i got home and then i was like oh shit you know, there is a more of like an understanding of stuff after it's done. So yeah, I think a lot of the ways that people of color, I think in the West have access to travel is problematic by nature. Um, it's not really your fault in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, but speaking to the other issues that you were talking about, I think, um, I mean, that's, it's, it's fucked up you know, we see these different communities um, performing a version of their culture that is really kind of a product, you know, made to sell a place Mm -hmm. uh, to these visitors, these tourists. And it's like, it's weird. It's like, what do we really want? You know, Mm -hmm. what, if we just like went went into a community, like many, I'm in Ecuador right now, like a lot of different indigenous communities don't dress a certain way that you might think if you look in National Geographic, you know, they don't spend all day singing songs um, or hunting or anything. Like, I don't think that people understand indigeneity or from the West, if we're like very separated from it, Mm -hmm. but it's not this one thing. But if you're traveling to a place, then they do that and they do it for tips. I mean, it's, um, it's fucked up. So I think a lot of, a lot of like, white travel writers and tourists and stuff and these people who you know do this for a living will respond to me and be like well i mean this is the big uh defense narrative it's like well they're making money and they don't really have any other way to make money so you know what's wrong with them doing these dances and selling this shit and um that's a really bad excuse the thing is that that is so dehumanizing to like, first of all, why don't these indigenous folks have this relationship anymore to this community? I mean, to their culture, mm. why do they have to perform it? Obviously there was a process that, w- that underwent that is still undergoing. Colonization yeah, yeah. <laughs> and progress is what I'm saying. So that's what, you know, separates folks from their own like ancestral practices and stuff. And then they have to like repackage it for like a performance. That's all very colonial. Um, so I think it's very dehumanizing to put people back in like a static place of like Nat Geo, like indigeneity in order to, you know, survive. Mm. Um, it's messed up. And you see these different communities, uh, who are indigenous or, or, you know, uh, African descent that are like, that they don't like it, you know, and a lot of it was forced onto them. You know, one day you'll have like some sort of tourist operator, or whatever, come into your community and be like, can you do this? You know, it's, we'll do it once a week. I'll bring in some people. We'll give you some money and that's it. Mm. Um, so a lot of communities consensus stuff, not knowing what's going to happen or not knowing that they're going to be so aggressive in the way that they take pictures or just engage with it in disrespectful and weird ways. Mm. Um, but anyway, that's just one thing I noticed. And I, I never really like went, uh, traveled internationally and had experience like that. 
but I just remember being younger and like traveling, traveling through the Southwest for the first time. I was with my family and seeing this, like, um, you know, there's all these places in the Southwest in the U S that are, that are very like touristy, um, weird, uh, weird, like using, um, you know, native American shit in like weird ways. Um, so you'll have these like, you know, trade, Trading posts, this like fake ass trading posts, and then you'll have all the dream catchers inside and all this stuff. Um, there was this place that did, I think, these dances, and it was like every day at three o'clock you see these dances, and I'm like, this is messed up. <laughs> like this is this is the country that I was born in, you know. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to like go that far to see that the indigenous people of the place that I lived in uh, were being treated the same way. Mm, yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> and that's, I mean, that's directly related to genocide. Mm. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. And these are like, these are big things. <laughs> these, are, these are like big, big systems and, and they're very embedded in our society. And so when you're, when you're doing this, this work, especially for, for, for people of color um, and for, people that are usually marginalized or experience like the brunt of oppression, what is your hope or, or your vision for them, for us? I guess I'm included in that group. <laughs> Our hope or vision for us for... In terms of, in terms of how, how we travel. Um, I don't have a vision. I think that would be, you know, personally, I think that would be a little too utopian. Um, as people of color are not a monolith, um, especially people of color from the West, like we're coming from all these different histories and backgrounds and we're bringing a lot of shit with us that we don't understand. I mean, I think that we, in the ways that we are in monolith, I guess, and like, um, again, in a place like the U S is, it's weird. It's very weird. It's like, um, we have an understanding of ourselves in relation to white supremacy mm-hmm. in the U S. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we travel in a lot of places, you know, again, I'm just talking about someone, uh, someone, a person of color who's from the U.S. Yeah. Um, so when we travel to other places, we understand, especially me, like my political understanding comes from like this like U.S.ian understanding of like white supremacy. It's 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 different to understand things in a global sense, yeah. and there really is not one global sense. It's just very complicated. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying it's complicated. Um, so I, I can't expect, you know, people of color to be more enlightened about this shit because we just aren't. Mm-hmm. I've had too many negative experiences uh, with, uh, you know, USC and folks of color saying like really, really, really messed up imperialist things about Ecuadorians or, or mm-hmm. any that are just treating us the same way. You know, there's white Ecuadorians in the same country who treat indigenous people and black people this certain way. Yeah. So there, there is, there is no monolith. I mean, this is the thing about, I don't use this term a lot, but like having a colonized mind. I mean, we're coming mm-hmm. from a colonized mindset. So uh, the individual, the individual can be a great person, but all the ways that we think is influenced by the ways that we were raised and like the kind of specific education of the place or the region that we're from or grew up in, socialized in. Um, so having said all that, I think what you're asking me, I'll, I'll say that I, when I talk about people of color and trying to be a better traveler and a more, um, 
I guess, accountable person wherever we are, however we are moving around the world or not moving. Um, I'm doing it with the hope that folks will take into account their own descendancy, how maybe their own people were moved around and shifted around. And again, uh, how we came to be in the place that we are now mm. uh, is very similar to what we can kind of uh, enact upon different communities. Um, and that, and just that hopefully that we think about that, you know, that we, that we think about solidarity, but again, this is not a natural thing. And I don't think that people of color have to do that. I hope that all people do that, but that's just hope, you know, that when we're, we're doing any kind of action or thinking, we're trying to do so in solidarity with other people, with the understanding that we are also oppressed and that if we want liberation, it can't just be for like me and mine, you know? Mm-hmm. So how, how did you come to writing? What brought you to, to, to doing this work? Um, so writing is something that I've been doing since I was very young. I started when I was uh, nine, you know. I mean, I have been writing since I was nine. You know, you can call it just journal writing, but... Um, that's what I do. I write every day and I've been doing it ever since. So I just like kind of, um, what's another word for religiously, habitually keep all of my books um, and constantly write. I didn't try to do anything professional with it until I guess I was um, 22. Mm -hmm. So uh, I was doing all sorts of stuff. I had like a funny youth. Um, I left home when I was young Mm -hmm. I was 15. I dropped out of high school and I started traveling in this very non-traditional way. I had, I had basically nothing. And, um, I was, I mean, for a while I was homeless, which is separate, but I was also with very little means and just traveling by myself as a teenager. Um, so when I got older and I was able to finally go to Ecuador where my family's from, I think I was 21. Um, I, I was backpacking around Latin America and I had all these different experiences for a while. And um, once I went back to the US and I had that kind of like post-travel, like, I don't know, I was in this little place where I was like, what am I doing? Like I was back in the US after a while traveling away and there was a recession. Um, I was like, I really couldn't get any work, especially as like a dropout. I, I was having okay time like doing random jobs before then to make some money. But at that point, I couldn't get any work. I was unemployed for a long time. So shit was rough. And I was like, I traveled, I write, what can I do so that I can keep traveling and writing? Because that's just my the love. This is my passion of just traveling. Um, and I was like, well, travel writing, you know, I, I was seeing a lot of this stuff online and, and I, I began to get into that, that, uh, that scene, um, reading travel writers, trying to see how I can like get into, um, doing this professionally and all of that. And, um, and before I get into the next piece, like, I'll just explain just a little bit of my background. Like I've always been very militant and I was like radicalized at a young age and I've always been um, very involved in activism, or I was a lot more when I was younger. So when I went into travel writing and reading all these like white dudes and of uh, some white women, I was just like, what? <laughs> I was like, oh shit, like it's so bad. 
it's like you can't really read anything from travel writing from to me personally without getting offended like it's just really bad and I was like I could do this like I could do this way better you know and I, I didn't have any big ideas of like being the best writer ever because I'm a bibliophile like I worship authors and stuff and I just saw what I was doing is very separate from that so I didn't take it seriously in this way that I was like I'm gonna write a book and people are gonna read it I was just like literally just trying to write some little things so that I can make a little bit of money and survive. Um, but in doing that, that's what really kind of like, and in the first few years of going to travel writing workshops, being in all white spaces, you know, reading all this stuff um, that were again, all white and, and et cetera, et cetera. In the first few years, having all white editors, you know, having all white publications read my stuff. I was just like, that's when in the first few years of just trying to make it into that world that I was like, this is really messed up this whole space and the way that they write and why they write that way. Like I, I began to put all these things together and just realized that I needed to kind of like fuck with this. Like I wanted to disrupt that and I didn't want what I did to be the same, especially since I was writing about the places where I'm from and I didn't want to like, hawk some sort of like fake ass like version of my culture I didn't want to write in a way that was very like limited to an immigration story or anything like that or like a woman's travel story as you know I was assigned for a long time I, I I just felt very like how can I write like things that are honest about this place that I'm from and this place that I'm not from without like if like being as fucked up as these people are to me um, so it was that whole bind that, uh, I was like, I eventually, you know, started my zine, I started my website and I started to write from a little bit more of a radical place because after a few years in that whole, you know, trying to get work done and, and I, you know, I was, I was working, but it wasn't this very limited thing. And I thought, you know, if I'm going to keep writing for like majority white audiences, I can't do it from this place of like trying to educate them in a very one-on-one sense because, my mind is, I mean, I went through this whole radicalization and I have read all the shit that these people haven't. I'm not going to like take their hand and do this thing. This is not what I want to do. I wanted to tell stories. And, um, you know, that's when I kind of like took writing more seriously. Um, and I really kind of stepped into this place of like, I'm a writer. I'm a writer of color. You know, I'm a queer writer mm -hmm. and I got shit to say. So there's all these folks that are having um, a very like, who are having conversations about travel, especially younger folks and on social media and stuff that I was kind of separate from, that I was like, hey, people are talking about this. There's like more like first and second generation people like me who are having these experiences of going to these places and being like, something's off. And then reading this stuff and being like, this is off. Um, so yeah, that's a whole long like way of saying that after being in uh, the business of travel writing, I realized how messed up it was and that I didn't want to direct my energy, my energy to folks who are just really not going to listen to me. Mm. So I kind of moved away from that space and just started speaking the way that I speak anyway. And with other people who already have an understanding of social justice um, and are a little bit more dedicated to it and, you know, started directing my work toward them so that we can have more of a collective conversation because I'm not just trying to like sell my own shit. You know, when I have like my Facebook page, my Twitter stuff, like the whole point is that so we can talk about this stuff mm -hmm. because the place that I'm coming from is not like, I can't speak for anyone else. You know, I have such a specific 
experience. So everyone has so much to bring to this, these topics and these issues that all I care about really to like a really obsessive nerdy degree is talking about it with other folks. Um, yeah. If yeah. that makes sense. No, I love it. I love it. There was, there were so many like really good <laughs> bits, bits in that. Um, but I think over, overall what I'm taking away, cause I've, I've also gone through this um, process of figuring out like what, what it is that I really want to say, what it is that I really want to share with people when it comes to uh, justice and liberation and oppression and um, and how all of these things are present in all of our lives. Um, and I've definitely gone back and forth between like, do I want do I want to hold hands? Do I want do I want to um, to to do some like one on one stuff um because that's also like par for the course you know right yeah um and and like how can I just really express myself (laughs) how can I really just like be myself and not try to worry about like whether or not white people will understand me um (laughs) and and so I I yeah I really I, I love what you just shared yeah um and I'm curious what are or what is or are one of your favorite stories that you've um, shared through your, through your work? One of my favorite stories. Um, hmm. Favorite story. I, I, I don't know. You know, the thing is that since, since I started, you know, especially in Latin America is when I started trying, I started writing a lot more. I was always writing creatively for myself, you know, for mm-hmm. nobody else. And a lot of travel writing is just commercial. So there's really no space for that. Mm. Um, and in all these years, like, I haven't had a lot of my creative stuff published. And I've gotten a lot of more into journalism. Um, so, yeah, a lot, of my, a lot of this stuff that is, like, my writing that really I think is um, my style, it, it just hasn't been out there. Mm. Um, so I don't know, and I don't really have like favorite stories because I only like I, I focus on problematic shit. Yeah, uh, yeah. Stories was, really messed up. <laughs> <laughs> no, as I was asking that question, I was like, favorite's not the word that I want to use, but like <laughs> I guess the one that you're most passionate about. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm just ugh, I'm passionate about everything. What can I say? I mean, this the work that I've been doing for Bitch Magazine is um mm. is very close to my heart. I mean, it's close to my mind. So all of that is, all of that is very personal because I mean, I, I can still write in creative ways in journalism, but it's, it, it affects me. Like I write shit about shit that directly affects me and different communities I'm a part of. And that also, I mean, identity for me functions in order to understand different uh, social issues, different social connections. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. What I'm saying was when I talk about identity, it's not, for me, it's a place of like where I'm come from that gives me an understanding of how power functions. It's not the be all and end all. Um, so for example, my work in Bitch, um, where, I mean, I had my first feature was like, um, it was about fair trade work and white saviorism and different kinds of uh, saviorism that uh, allows the fair trade industry to, to like, thrive and by fair trade i was uh, focusing on these artisanal websites where like 
there's this whole business where white women um, create this kind of like charity slash entrepreneur shit um, where they go to, you know, places in the global South or whatever in the East and work with these little collectives of women who make stuff that are traditionally, you know, uh, tied to their cultures and then they sell it to uh, folks in the West um, and in the North for, you know, whatever. And then a little bit of the money goes back to the women's collectives. So I'm talking about that whole business. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way that it is close to me is that there, you know, I can't open up any of these websites without them like talking about places in the Andes or like, you know, Ecuador, like different. And there's a lot of noise in the background. <laughs> I'm not going to mute it. I'm just going to keep going. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's just weird. I mean, first of all, again, <laughs> talking about talking about like personal shit, like for me, what does it mean for me to come to Ecuador and like buy some, you know, uh, some handmade shit that like these folks don't even wear anymore? What does it mean for me to wear this? And like, especially in the diaspora, it's a lot more accepted to be, um, I don't know, to kind of like take our cultures and our quote unquote motherland and be very like a little bit romantical about it. Or it's like, I'm reclaiming my roots. When we come here, I'm like, I don't feel any more distant to this culture than I am when I'm physically in Ecuador, you know? Uh, I When you're buying something from somebody that they don't wear, that I don't wear, it's just, it's just for show. Mm. Um, I'm not saying there's anything inherently wrong with that. I'm just saying like, my understanding of this came into my own personal experience of being like, I feel uncomfortable and I don't really know how to talk about, I don't know. I don't really understand it. Mm -hmm. So then I have to write myself through it. And then that leads me to a bigger understanding of like this whole market and this whole business and the different women that I've met, like white women who've done this and all the shortcuts that they make. And there's a lot of like abuse towards these, uh, you know, women of color collectives who are poor and then the whole narrative of being like, they need us. That's very central to like the white savior and dominant shit. Mm-hmm. It's always like, you know, we need to save them. We need to help them, you know, from poverty and female empowerment and all this stuff. And I'm like, those are just like little buzzwords that they're using to make money. Like it, mm-hmm. it's just any other business. So we're using like a narrative of poverty, which is, which can't really like, which is depoliticized and it's turned into this girl power thing. Whereas, I mean, there's no talk of race in those businesses because they're businesses and they profit. It's not about people. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, that's just a whole, this is me talking about that one article. Mm-hmm. But um, that's very close to me in those ways where these people are talking about my culture in a weird way. And I'm like, if I can't connect to it, then you guys definitely can connect to it. Um, so what's going on here? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, a lot of my latest work for Bitch has been about climate disasters and it came from... Um, Ecuador being hit with an, a terrible earthquake last year and actually like thousands of earthquakes ever since mm. um, and the whole like um, disaster relief narrative and business that pops pops up around those things uh, that was very since you know I was in New York and I was um, kind of clamoring to organize with other folks to get money to the most vulnerable people mm-hmm. uh, trans folks and queer folks and uh, sex workers and uh, black and indigenous people who were like affected by the earthquake and were not getting funds from Red Cross, government, et cetera, these places. I'm like, 
this happens a lot and this is messed up and who yeah. is paying the price for you know climate change uh we talk about this in the, in the north a lot but who who are the heads of environmental organizations they're very white they're very cis they're very male um and they don't really understand a connection to the earth the way that um indigenous and black people do in these places where they're uh, economies, their livelihoods are directly tied to the earth. Mm. And if they don't have that because other people want to like drill oil on the land or like, uh, you know, put up these horrible kind of like fishing conglomerates that messes up the coast and then they have tsunamis, etc. Like, this is maybe those people shouldn't be in charge of this conversation and, and you know, funneling funds to people who are in need, um, etc. I mean, I'm just talking about the issues in my articles. But that hits very close to home because, you know, that's my country that was like fucked up because of climate change. Right. Um, and then we have these queer and trans people, you know, like me who are not getting any of that money um, from these, you know, well-to-do people. Uh, so anyway, that's what I'm saying. I'm just saying that I, I write from a personal place, but then I try to connect it to bigger things that don't really directly impact me because, you know, my responsibility as a writer, especially from the U.S., especially who can speak English, who is light-skinned and misty sex and all these things, um, I feel like I have to, you know, write about or at least, you know, talk to folks and include them in my writing who are directly impacted by these things who, like, no one's listening to um, or who are not being heard, you know, from people in power. Mm. So that's how I try to use my platform. Um, and yeah, I mean, so yeah, those are, again, those aren't favorite things because they're so yeah. fucked up, mm -hmm. uh, but those are some of the stories I get out there. I mean, other things that are close to me that I'm proud to have out there are, again, fucked up shit with my personal life, but they're a little bit more creative nonfiction memoir stuff where I'm talking about what it's like to be, you know, struggling with financial shit and be from the U.S. and be in Ecuador and be disabled, all this stuff. That's just a part of my literary work, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. And um, to whoever's listening, y'all should definitely check out Bonnie's work because <laughs> it's there's so much goodness. Um, and also, like, however, well, we'll get to that in a second. First, I want to ask a question <laughs> about what... Um, what what you're currently like challenged with in terms of um in connection to, to liberation um whether that's like in in your own life or in a community or in your work or um i'm challenged with a lot i think because the focus of my work is on challenges it's on yeah. challenging myself you know mm -hmm. because i I am, I'm put in these like positions where I put myself or whatever in positions where I'm like, which narrative am I going to choose? You know, because mm -hmm. I do think sometimes unless we are like faced with um, our own, I'll just use the word privilege. Unless we're faced with that, then we don't really know that we have anything to be responsible for. Um, so that's why I use like travel as this uh, vehicle because it really is, that's when you really realize like, oh, there's a network of power. I mean, for me, travel is that for me. You can learn these things in, in so many different ways and so many different spaces, but there's really nothing more visceral um, than having a, an experience that kind of like where you're faced with like the choice you're going to make. Am I going to buy this thing? Am I going to take a picture of this person? Am I going to like sell this piece that like, 
I'm making money off of somebody else's suffering. Mm-hmm. I'm always being challenged by my own privilege and um, choosing like, I guess, what am I going to go with? Um, so <laughs> all that is to say that, um, as I was saying a little bit in the last question that like as a messy sex person, as a light skinned person, as a, you know, a person who has this proximity to whiteness and passport privilege and all this stuff, um, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm trying to unlearn shit. I mean, mm. deprogramming is a lifelong thing. This is why when folks are like, thank you for writing this stuff down. I used to be fucked up, but now I'm better. I'm like, nah, you know, I'm in this too. I'm mm. not like, not like that. You know, mm-hmm. I never said that I wasn't a tourist. I never said that I was better than anyone else or that I found a way to do this without any problematic effects. There is really no such thing. Mm-hmm. This is just a moving conversation where we can kind of be open and bring all these things to this place, right? And I think we were talking about that with liberation. It's like, how can we bring all of ourselves to one space um, mm-hmm. in a safe way where we feel like welcome? Um, and that does seem a little utopian, but that's kind of the work of liberation. And if we're not making that possible for other people, then how can we find that for ourselves? Yeah. Um, so I think that, yeah. Uh, you know, when I'm in Ecuador or anything, I'm thinking about not just my privilege. I mean, what does that mean? It really means that you have access to things and resources that not a lot of other people have access to and that mm-hmm. you're trying to use your own power in order to like, give them resources or like, you know, um, I, I always think about it as like stepping down from the throne, like not using power and just, um, I guess not using our identities in weaponized ways. Yeah. Um, so the way that I interact with different forms of my culture, different folks here, different communities here, and the way that I write about them, especially black and indigenous communities, because that's, that's where a lot of my focus is. We're talking about decolonization. I mean, that's mm-hmm. who we're talking about. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm just always thinking about that. I don't really know how to do that. I mean, I'm, it, it's education, it's learning history. It's constantly for me, like understanding the history of Ecuador and how things were made, how things function, like what allowed me to be in the place that I am now? Like I, I keep repeating that question, but it's important um, because these are things that are like generations in progress and hundreds of years in progress and, I just find myself at this one little nexus right now. Um, so yeah, and I think about that in the US as well. You know, the way that someone from Brooklyn and Queens, um, you know, 80s, 80s baby, 90s kid, where um, I'm always thinking about like my, trying to have a healthier relationship of like, with black culture and like consuming black culture that's not like fucked up because growing up, it, a lot of it, there's a lot of things that's unquestioned that I'm, you know, being questioned with now. Whereas it's like, what kind of words is it okay to say? Like, am I appropriating AAV? Um, and what am I, how do I, you know, engage with different cultures in a, in a healthy way, which is very much the same question that we ask ourselves when we're traveling. Um, the thing is that there really, you know, it, it's no like one U.S. in culture you know, and the way that I was raised was very, like, mixed and stuff. So, anyway, that's all to say that as an adult, I'm wondering, like, how can I have a better relationship to stuff and understand, like, how power has allowed me to, like, I don't know, step into some spaces, step into, like, myself for, I don't know, yeah. you know, how am I, how am I consuming culture in a, in a healthy way? How do I, how can I do it in a healthier way? 
Mm. and uh, do that with an understanding of history and with an understanding that I'm constantly deprogramming. Mm -hmm. Um, That for myself, uh, I think, I know I talked a lot, but I'll just finish by saying that um, also right now, um, because I just shot, you know, a friend, another trouble writer of color had like this web series and we're here in Ecuador doing this stuff. Um, and the, the focus of this episode is on spiritual tourism and specifically um, ayahuasca and this ayahuasca journey that I just had, which I just did, I think, like the week before last. Um, so I'm very, for me, there's a lot of questions about, um, there was a lot of hesitancy for years to uh, do ayahuasca as a person who, my family's from the coast, like we're not from the Amazon. Um, whose is this practice? How is it going to help me? Is it my right to engage in this stuff? Um, how am I going to engage with it? Like, how do I see myself in this like space? It, it, it's a lot. Um, yeah. Because <laughs> I know I'm, I'm going to finish right now. But uh, I, as someone who's like, my, my father's a shaman. Like, I, I came, I, I was raised in this way that I was, I was raised to be very proud of my culture, especially my indigenous spirituality, and that that is not. Um, something that we can sever Mm. um from like for me spirituality and culture are are very much tied together and they're very tied together with the earth and the environment these are all kind of like the spiritual understanding of like the pachamama which means mother earth which is very much like a universe of connected beings um so (laughs) i'm going into this whole other thing but i wonder how i can like engage with this stuff without like infringing upon it without appropriating it uh, without with understanding that I'm very separate from it. I, Mm. from this, like I was not, you know, I'm just not, I didn't grow up in a jungle. Mm -hmm. So understanding like um, very recently that spiritual liberation and my physical liberation as a disabled person, all these different ways is something that I, I'm working on and something that I'm growing into understanding um, because for a very long time, I felt like it wasn't my thing or that I didn't know how to navigate it. Um, so now I'm trying to just step into this because I'm realizing that this was kind of taken away from me and that, um, you know, I'm just treading lightly into coming back into this place and coming back to myself because I realized that there's a lot of healing things that I do need to do for my own liberation. And um, I thing I'll, I'll, I'll finish right now <laughs> the last thing I want to say is that when I was talking to my curandera um, the woman who you know guided me through the ayahuasca ceremony she was saying that she said a lot of stuff but one thing that I just wanted to share on this little podcast was that she was saying that in her community people do this they do not them which is what she calls it um, because you're trying to be in solidarity with your community and the earth mm. you're doing it so that we can be better people to each other. You can't do it just for yourself. It is not a selfish thing. It's so that we understand our responsibility and our interconnectedness with other beings and what we have to do with the other people in our lives. You know, we have to help each other out. They have to help us and we need to help them. And in order to do that, we need to be healthy. We need to be liberated from, you know, bullshit that we have deep inside, um, which is very much the result of the scars of colonization. Um, so yeah, that's a lot, but I'm just saying my spiritual liberation is very connect- connected with these other things that are always in my mind. Um, yeah, I'll yeah. stop there. <laughs> no, it's so good. That was a lot, that was a lot. No, it was a lot, but it was so, it's just, it's 
so interesting and um and so important to like to hear what to what you're saying um and I love like I, I want to know more I want to watch that um is it a is it a video um series that is happening that your friend is doing? yes yeah she's doing a video series I don't think um I can uh, like um talk about it that much now but yeah. I think that'll be ready like after during or after summer so that's gonna be a few months away mm-hmm. yeah well I'm I'm excited to to hear more um because yeah spirituality and um there's just there's so many little nuances in in so much of what you shared and um and I think that's that's great and so when I when I say like that's a lot like <laughs> it's really just like there, there's so much to hold and part of what part of what's really important to me when I'm when I'm facilitating a space for for healing or growth or whatever um is to make space for complexity and I've talked about that on another episode um but yeah, a huge part is just to be able to hold all of these little nuances um, and the fact that like we are the oppressor, we are the oppressed sometimes. Um, and and there's, there's always kind of like a both and um, happening. And I've seen that present in a lot of what you're, you're saying, a lot of what you've written and um, all that to say, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you for inviting me to ramble about these things that I'm going to ramble about anyway. Yeah, um, give me the space to do this. Um, yeah. I hope it was like relevant to what you're trying to do. <laughs> yeah, no, it's great. And so, how um, can the people that are listening? How can they get in touch with you with your work um, or support your work so that you can keep doing it? Um, so I'm at baniamor.com. That's B-A-N-I-A-M-O-R.com. And that's where all my writing is, um, and stuff. So, I mean, there's so much to read on there. And I, I mean, a lot of what I've done is, um, uh, I had this, um, uh, interview series with travel writers of color, where we talk about all this stuff and we like mm-hmm. have different, we will talk about different issues, you know, per interview. So I, that's really good for people like look through all the discussions and, you know, understand that I'm not coming from just this one place of my experience, but like I want to have a conversation. So there's all the shit to sift through on there. And um, I'm on Twitter, Bonnie, I think underscore Amor. Or I, I love Twitter. I'm always on Twitter. So if I have internet connection, I'll be on there. And um, I'm usually talking about this issues and other people are talking to me about those issues. Um, I'm on Instagram. It's just kind of like personal. Uh, and then I have a Facebook page everywhere all the time. So people can find me there. If you want to support my work, I'm on PayPal. Hey, it's Bonnie at gmail.com. Cash.me slash Bonnie Amor. PayPal. Uh, same thing. So, you know, every donation helps. There's not that much. Again, you know, I was talking about how the travel writing scene was when I first got into it. Yeah. Nothing has changed. Really nothing has changed. Mm-hmm. So there's not that many places that will pay people of diverse experiences to talk about them in, in honest ways that just doesn't really exist um so yeah i mean it's really important for creators of color and creators of diverse experiences to create our own shit yeah. um and not all of us have the resources to do it so anything helps folks can donate or just whatever you know get in touch and let's keep talking yeah awesome thank you thank you so much this has been so good 
I'm glad. Thank you for having me. Okay, so now I want to hear your thoughts. What resonated with you? What was challenging? What was enlightening? What was something that you had never thought of before? Go ahead and connect with the podcast over on Instagram. It's at the Liberty Pod. And let's talk about this. Again, to find out more about Bonnie and see some of the articles that they mentioned and find some reflection prompts and everything from this episode, go over to thelibertypodcast.com forward slash the number three. And until next time, I wish you love and liberty.